Hi, friends. This is Pastor Dan Jackson. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Jacobswell Church. My hope and prayer is that this message will be a blessing to you and lead you into worshiping and enjoying our great and gracious God. With that said, let me encourage you to use this message as a supplement to and not a replacement of a local church. Christ did not establish his church simply for us to consume messages, but so that we could be intimately invested in each other's lives as an authentic covenant community. Again, thank you for listening. And if you want more information about Jacobswell Church, please visit our website at www.jacobswellgb.org. So I have two sons, James and Declan, and uh, James is four, Declan is almost two. And whenever we are driving in the car, there's this brotherly drama that often plays out. You see, Declan is just old enough to know exactly how to annoy his brother to no end. How old is old enough to know how to do that, you ask? Um, between the ages of two and 72, pretty sure. And, and James is just young enough to not have any patience and know how to deal with his obnoxious brother. And so we'll be driving in the car, and all of a sudden, James will start shouting, Echo! 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 And James will say, be quiet, echo, be quiet. And we start from the front, you know, telling both of you, stop it. We learn from an early age that other people will do things that bother us. We learn from an early age that that there are those out there that will annoy us, that will hurt us, that will even sin against us. We learn from an early age that we are sinners. And so it is important, it is necessary that we understand forgiveness. Everyone in this room is familiar with what it feels like to hurt another person and to seek their forgiveness. And everyone here in this room is familiar with what it feels like to be hurt by someone else and to find themselves needing to forgive. But what about in those situations where the hurt is so great that forgiveness seems impossible? What about those situations where your transgressions are so wicked that you feel like forgiveness is beyond hope. Today we're going to be looking at a gospel truth, a good news truth that has been clung to by Christians throughout the ages. We just said it in the Apostles' Creed. We believe in the forgiveness of sins. Would you turn with me to Matthew chapter 18? We're going to be looking at verses 21 through 35. That is on page 823 in the Red Bible and uh, 1045 in the Children's Bible. Matthew 18, verses 21 through 35. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me 
and I forgive him. As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. At All Saints Church, we have a tradition where at the end of the scripture reading, the, the preacher says the word of God and, and the congregation responds with the story of his grace. So let's try that. The word of the Lord, the story of his grace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this passage, Lord. We thank you for the grace that you have revealed through your word, your grace that is seen and experienced through the work of Jesus Christ upon the cross. And Lord, as we look this morning at this passage, we ask that you would teach us about forgiveness, that we would learn that you are a God who forgives and that we are your people who also must forgive. Lord, would you be at work this morning? We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. If the church is going to represent Christ to the world, then our behavior towards one another needs to look a lot different than what you would expect from the world. In the beginning of Matthew 18, Jesus is teaching his disciples about how you ought to handle conflict amongst yourselves. If, if you have ever experienced a brother or sister in Christ sinning against you and, and you're not sure what to do about it, Matthew 18 is a great place to go because it really gives you step-by-step instructions that, that tell you okay, when you're sinned against, Go. Go. Share with the person how they, how they have wronged you. And if they don't receive that, bring another person. If they don't receive that, then go to the elders and report it to the church. And, and hopefully, ideally, when following these instructions, the result is going to be repentance for the wrong that was done and forgiveness offered by the one who was wronged. 
Now, Jesus, when he finishes teaching about this process and offering his disciples encouragement in the midst of it, Peter follows up with this question that we read in verse 21. He says, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Now, uh, Peter most likely was referring to those who are brothers and sisters in the family of God, but inwardly it kind of makes me chuckle when I think about the relationship that my boys have with one another, and I can't help but wonder if Peter had flashes of his brother Andrew going through his head as he asked this question, how many times do I have to forgive? I mean... If conflict resolution works the way that it's supposed to, then there is going to be an awful lot of repentance. And necessarily, there is going to be an awful lot of forgiveness. But forgiveness is hard. So Peter just wants to know, how forgiving do I need to be? Seven times, he asks. Now, Peter was trying Okay, uh, the Jewish tradition said that if you forgave someone three times, you could be considered forgiving. So Peter takes that number, he doubles it, and he adds one, and he gets this great biblical number seven. Yes. But Jesus corrects him, and he says, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Now that does not mean that you need to have a tally Don't pull up an Excel sheet. Okay, 53, 54, 55, we're getting close. Um, Jesus is saying that you need to forgive an infinite number of times. And um, if you've been around the block a few times in life, you know that this is a hard teaching. And so Jesus tells them a parable. He tells a parable about a forgiveness that at first glance seems absolutely unbelievable. Jesus says in verses 23 and 24 that the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, a talent was a measurement of money, and if you were to convert 10,000 talents to today's wages, it would be roughly equivalent to about $6 billion. That's a little bit of money. Now, just like uh, everybody here in this room, uh, the man did not have $6 billion to pay off this debt. And so... The next step, the next piece of recourse was for him and his family to be sold into slavery until full payment was made. And in desperation, the servant fell on his knees and he begged. He begged for more time, promising he'll pay everything. And the king, because he was a merciful king, not only gave him more time, but he actually forgave him the debt. The entire debt. That kind of forgiveness is practically unbelievable. I mean, Jesus in this parable is using an outrageous number to demonstrate just how much God, our King, has forgiven us. Think about it. Uh, 
that the only way that this man could have owed 10,000 talents or $6 billion is if the king had loaned him the money or at least close to that much money before interest kicked in. And, and when time came to collect, he couldn't pay. I mean, what did he do? How bad do you have to screw up to lose that much money? How much money is that? Well, um, on, on average, they say if you invest your money, you're, you're going to make a return over time of about 6%, okay? Um, if you just invested $6 billion, you could anticipate making about $360 million a year doing not, nothing. What could you do with $360 million a year? <laughs> and yet when the king came to collect, the man could not pay. If you had $6 billion, you could drop a $100 bill every second for an entire year, and you'd still have about half your money. <laughs> this guy had screwed up. He had this unbelievably large debt, and the king erased it. It was like it was no more. We believe in the forgiveness of sins. The world cannot comprehend the truth that God forgives sinners like you and like me. And sometimes, if we're honest, we have a hard time believing that too. And so we play these little mental games with ourselves to make it more believable. We say, well, my debt isn't $6 billion. It's more like, you know, 39 cents. It's not so bad. I'm basically doing all right. Or maybe we check out anytime someone starts talking about finances. We avoid the confession part of the church service. We stop reading our Bibles. We start distancing ourselves from church. If I pretend like it doesn't exist, then maybe it'll just go away. But the horrible truth that we must face to truly taste the good news is that when we consider our selfishness, our pride, our lust, our betrayal, we owe every penny. And the good news that may seem unbelievable is that through Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. We believe in the forgiveness of sins. And when you believe in God's forgiveness, you know what? It's contagious. It is contagious. It spreads to others. In verse 28, it says that the forgiven servant was owed money by a different servant, by a fellow servant. He was owed 100 denarii. And when he found this servant who owed him the 100 denarii, he seized him and began to choke him, demanding payment. And the servant pleaded with him for mercy, but there was no mercy for him. Verse 30 says that he refused and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. 100 denarii, by the way, is the equivalent of about $12,000. <laughs> this is a wicked servant. 
Why? Why is the first servant so wicked? I mean, he's so wicked that the other servants who know what happened, who are observing this thing going down, were distressed. They were so distressed that in verse 31, it says that they went and they ratted him out to the king, who angrily threw him in prison for the way that he had treated his fellow servant. It seems pretty clear from this parable that there is this double standard going on that this servant had for himself compared to his fellow servant. I mean, it was perfectly acceptable for him to be forgiven $6 billion, but there was no chance he was going to let $12,000 slide. Why? Why? How could he be forgiven $6 billion and then, and then throw this guy in prison for just 12,000. I think there's two reasons. The first is because forgiveness is costly. You know, when you're hurt, the injury does not magically disappear because the offender apologizes. When the king forgave the servant's debt, the money was still gone. And, and when God sent his son when God sent his only son to reconcile us to himself for the injury that we had caused him, Jesus upon the cross shouldered the weight of our sin. To forgive is to absorb the loss, and that is not easy, especially if the loss is very great. The servant refused. He wanted his $12,000. The second reason that I believe this servant acted so wickedly is a little more complicated, so try to stay with me. Here's the bottom line. The first servant was never truly reconciled or made right with the king. In verses 34 and 35, Jesus delivers this warning to his disciples. Jesus says that the king gave the wicked servant over to the jailers, which is a metaphor for hell. Then Jesus says, so also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. That's a little bit confusing. It sounds an awful lot like Jesus is saying, you must forgive others to be worthy of the kingdom of God. It almost sounds like there's some sort of works-based salvation going on here. If you don't forgive, you're out. But that's not what is happening here. You see, the wicked servant was never truly reconciled with the king because he was never truly repentant. Two types of repentance out there, true repentance and false repentance. We recognize this. False repentance. False repentance is only concerned with the consequences that are before you. Kind of like the child that just reflexively says, I'm sorry, to avoid discipline. True repentance, on the other hand, is more concerned with the one who was injured. False repentance is concerned with the consequences you're suffering. True repentance is concerned about the one who was injured. False repentance doesn't really experience forgiveness. All they really experience is, 
is relief from the negative consequences of sin. But true repentance, when one is truly repentant, they experience mercy and grace. True repentance experiences relational reconciliation. And when you experience that, when you experience that kind of making whole again, even when it is undeserved, you can't help. You can't help but extend it to others. It's contagious. And so when Jesus says to his disciples, so also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart, he is not saying that we have to forgive others in order to keep out of hell. He is not saying you must forgive others in order to earn heaven. He is saying that whether or not you are able to forgive others reveals whether or not you are already hell-bound or if you are a child of God. If you cannot forgive your brother or your sister, then perhaps you have never truly experienced the forgiveness of God. Because when you experience the magnitude, the weight of the forgiveness that was purchased for you on the cross, it is contagious. Now, there there are some people here who have been wounded so deeply that even though you know that Christ has forgiven you, you still struggle to extend that same forgiveness to others. It's hard. Peter was right to recognize that it is not easy to forgive someone, especially someone who injures you over and over and over again. And it is in this situation that you need the power of forgiveness. In 2007, in Nickel Mines, Pennsylvania, there was a milk truck driver named Charles Roberts who went into a one-room Amish schoolhouse and shot ten young girls, killing five of them before taking his own life. And when Charles's mother, Terry, found out about what her son had done, she said, I will never face my Amish neighbors again. That week, when the Roberts held a private funeral for their son, there was as many as 40 Amish who came to extend love to Charles's surviving family. They even donated money for the shooter's widow and his children. They extended forgiveness. Ten years later, NPR reported that Terry Roberts, the, the shooter's mother, weekly meets and cares for one of the survivors who had suffered brain damage from her injuries. And Terry was quoted as saying, I will never forget the devastation caused by my son. But one of the fathers the other night, he said, none of us would have ever chosen this, but the relationships that we have built through it, you can't put a price on that. Here was a terrible thing, 
a horrible thing. And somehow these Amish victims were able to respond with love. That is unbelievable. Recently, if you've been following the news, um, somebody by the name of Jeffrey Epstein has been uh, in the news a lot for these horrible acts that he has committed against young girls. He also took his own life. And you have, if you have read some of the responses to his death, there has been bitterness, there has been anger, there has been lamentation over the perceived lack of justice. And we've got to say, that's, that's understandable. It is understandable that in response to such pain and hurt, that there would be this feeling of anger and bitterness and sorrow. So, so what made this Amish community so different? What empowered them to respond with forgiveness? Well, the, the Amish, if you didn't know, are descendants of the Anabaptist tradition that began in Europe. And I believe that the difference is that the Amish believe that God so loved the world that he gave his only son to die on the cross and that through faith in the shed blood of Jesus, we are reconciled to God. King David in Psalm 32 wrote this. He said, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. You see, apart from God's forgiveness, we waste away under the guilt and shame of our sin before a holy God. Our unkind acts, our selfish thoughts, our prideful motives, the secrets that we keep in the shadows, the acts of rebellion and betrayal against the Lord, all of this weighs upon us until we either break or sufficiently numb our conscience so that we don't notice the decaying of our soul. But, but when we believe, when in humble reliance we believe that bringing nothing to the table with no good work on our part, God in his mercy forgives us through the work of Christ on the cross. It changes us. It changes us and it empowers us to live as image bearers of God. God made us in his image to do his work, to be his people. And as people made in his image, we are called to do as he has done forgive just as we have been forgiven. I believe in the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you for this glorious truth that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Lord, when we are in that moment where we have been wronged, would you speak that truth to our hearts that we may forgive our brother and sister? And Lord, when we are in that moment where we have done something so horrible that the shame is overwhelming, Lord, would you remind us of this truth? That you are a merciful God who loves his children and has gone to the greatest lengths to offer us forgiveness. Help us to believe and to show this world in something that they believe is impossible. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.